What's up, everybody? Thanks for dropping in. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. So, episode 191, getting close to 200. Uh, this is going to be with Thomas Freeme, and this was a live stream I did uh, probably, I don't know, maybe about a year ago, and I haven't released it to the uh, podcast platform, so that's what I'm doing. This is the intro for that, but this episode is being sponsored by the other side academy so the other side academy is in salt lake city utah and if you have somebody in your life or you're connected to someone who struggles with going in and out of jail prison uh, rehabs you know they struggle with addiction and other sorts of uh, bad behaviors uh, maybe the other side academy is the place for them and uh, the other side academy you can reach at theothersideacademy.com. And I actually interviewed the executive director of The Other Side Academy, David DeRocher, and you can check that episode out, which is number 83. And in number 153, I interviewed three of the staff members who were former clients. So I got a lot of information and a lot of love for this place because I actually went and visited it and stayed there for three days. So I was able to participate in their groups. I was able to go and, and, and hang out and, you know, learn about what they were doing. And, you know, everything that I saw there was amazing. And so if you have somebody out there that's struggling, maybe this is the place for them. So there'll be all the information that you need to get to there uh, in the description of this show. Now, if you're somebody or a business, uh, online business, if you're, uh, uh, you know, someone who uh, author, you know, if you would like to advertise with this podcast, uh, feel free to, you know, read the, uh, the ticker tape below here. And uh, you can email me at nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com. And we can discuss different uh, tiers and pricings and, and opportunities for advertising on the nowhere to go but up podcast. So all that's available. Okay, so one last thing before we get out of here. Um, if you're on YouTube, if anywhere where you're watching this, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, like it. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast platforms, if you're on iTunes, hey, do me a favor, man, hit that uh, review and uh, give me a, uh, a review. Uh, that would be amazing. Um, you know, it's been a while since anybody's jumped on there and given me one. So uh, if you are liking what I'm doing, that's an easy way to support the show without having to spend any money. Just a couple of swipes, taps, and, and you're done. So, yeah, I'd love for you guys to uh, help support the show by following and subscribing and doing all those things. And uh, any other uh, ways that you want to help support the show, you can find that in my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash nowhere to go but up. Uh, until next time, enjoy the conversation. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. 
This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Sorry about the little glitch there. Uh, joining me today is uh, Thomas uh, from the uh, Free Me podcast and also a formerly incarcerated and justice-impacted individual like myself. And uh, we're here to talk to him today about his story and some of the struggles that he went through uh, in the system and growing up and you know how behavior and all that stuff ties into how we are raised as kids and the traumas and the things that we suffer uh, as young people that carry on into adulthood and, you know, manifest themselves in all kinds of different ways if they go unchecked. So Thomas, and thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out and thanks for joining me today. Absolutely, man. Thank you. And that was very, very well put. Very well said. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about yourself, man. You said that, uh, your parents divorced, uh, when you were five, mine did as well. Um, uh, how, what was that like? for you you know i i really can't remember much you know i have i have pockets of memories you know um but it there there there's significant times in my life that you know upon reflection i go back and i just look at and and wonder why these these memories are, are burnt into into you know into my soul they're there for a reason good and bad so you know, it, it just, upon reflecting on them things, man, you know, the only thing that I can remember about my parents being divorced is that when my father remarried, I was always embarrassed to introduce my, you know, my father's wife, my stepmother as my stepmother. I always introduced her as my mother. You know, I tell my friends that this is my mother and it made her feel good. But for me, I knew internally that it was, I was doing it because I was embarrassed. Okay. So there was always that, that um, kind of embarrassment within me about my parents being divorced and, and such that I remember as, as a young child. Okay. So did your, did your mom and dad ever like put you in the middle and you were the pawn and like getting back at each other? Well, there's no question. I have an older brother. He's eight years older than me. And, you know, I grew up, my, my parents are Midwestern. They're older. They're from the, the 30s and 40s, you know, was what their birth dates. And they grew up through all of that midtown, you know, Ohio. And they they were very simple people, but hardworking, you know. And they were just trying to figure life out themselves you know and me being an adult now I understand you know that these were just two individuals that that really didn't have a lot going for them my father was a very good-looking man he was a womanizer um and my mother was just in love with this this handsome guy you know and he was uh he was chauvinistic he was egoistic you know and and he was uh power struck you know and and that's just the, the, the umbrella that I grew up under, 
you know, um, a lot of, a lot of abuse towards my mother as far as verbal, psychological, uh, and, and all of this was in front of me, you know, um, up until the point that I do remember that it was one night that, that he was, he was choking her. He had her up against the wall. He was choking her. And I came out of the room and he looked at me and told me to go back to bed. She looked at me and was like, help, you know, she didn't say it, but I could just see it in her eyes that she wanted me to do something. And I didn't know what to do, but I was scared. I, I just went back to my bed, you know, and I just laid in the bed and, and, and I just didn't know what to do. And then I remember the, the police coming shortly after that. And then my father getting into an altercation with, with the police. And then he was hauled off to prison from there. And then the divorce, that's, that's where the split came. And that's pretty much all I can remember about, about their interactions. So do you feel like as you grew up, like as a, a sort of like a template of like what a man was looked like or what, what it was to be a man or the examples of, of a relationship, do you feel like that carried on into your, into your, your life after that? in the interactions you had with girls uh, leading up to women, um, and, you know, you're, you're not a bad looking dude yourself. So, I mean, I, I, I imagine that, you know, some of that played in because it played into some of my manipulation and manipulative behavior and how I treated the opposite sex and used, you know, used them as objects and assets rather than looking at them as people. Mm-hmm. There, no question, no question whatsoever. And, and, and I'm still dealing with that today. You know, I'm still chauvinistic in ways in, in how I speak. I still have um, a lot of uh, demand in me that I still have to deal with. A lot of ego within me as well, because it's deeply ingrained in me. I spent a lot of my childhood and my teenage years trying to earn my father's respect, you know, and and trying to duplicate who my father was to, in, in order to earn his respect but that was the issue with me as I was different my my brother was the identical of my father I was different I just wasn't cold and shrewd and and I was just a sensitive child you know I was more of my mother than I was of my father and and I think my father recognized that within me at a young age and 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 just kind of set me to the side and put his focus into my brother because my brother was his, you know, his torchbearer. So that, that's got to be tough, you know, always, always seeking the approval of somebody who set you aside uh, because they didn't deem you worthy of, of that kind of uh, mentorship is what it sounds like. And, and I don't think he did it purposely. You know, I just think it's, it's again, as, as being as an adult now, we just understand differently that it was just more, he didn't know how to deal with me. He didn't know how to pacify. He didn't know how to give me the, the attention and the love that I needed as a child, specifically to myself. And I think it, for him, it's just, it was just easier to just, I'll let your mother deal with that sort of ordeal, you know? So your parents get a divorce, um, and you're going through life. Let's let's skip up to about thirteen. So what what happens around thirteen that you start acting out? What I assume and, and getting in trouble, 
um, you know, with the laws for your first your first uh, introduction to the justice system? You know, I don't know. You know that, that this is something that I'm still pondering now. Is 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 like, how was I capable of doing the things that I was doing as a child? You know, I just got into very malicious behavior, very very um. Uh, uh, malicious, uh, just manipulative, you know, manipulative. I was manipulating my parents. I was, uh, it was just, I, I don't even know what I needed at that time, but there was something that, that was causing me to be very, very rebellious. And it just came to a point to where I, I, I just did whatever I wanted to do. You know, my parents were older by this time. I'm as you said, 12, 13 years old, my parents are already, you know, in their late 40s, 50s, very tired, very worn down from life. And I just pretty much just did whatever I wanted to do. And, and I, and that's just what I did. I, I, I would hide, you know, on, you know, cause my bus stop was right in front of the house. So I would go into this bush and I would hide and wait for my father to, to leave for work. And this is like, you know, 12 years old and the school bus would go. I would go into the house, I would change clothes, I would leave my house, and I would go out into the neighborhood, and I would stalk through the neighborhood, and I would look for specific houses, right, and I would just, I would just go up to the front door, and knock on the door, and if somebody answered, because in my mind, I know I'm just a sweet little innocent looking kid, you know, so I just knock on the door, and if somebody answered, I would say, oh, you know, is, is Billy here? No, no, you have the wrong house. Oh, okay. If nobody answered, I'd sneak around to the back of the house, knock on the back door. You know, if nobody answered, then now I'm kind of like looking around to see how I can get into the house. I'm breaking into houses at 12 years old, you know, and, and that was it. I would just go into the people's house and, and I would just take whatever I wanted out of the house. I would take the pillowcases off the beds. I would throw the stuff in the pillowcases. I would go home and, and I would just sift through all my treasures, you know, throw away the stuff I didn't want. And what I did want, I would hide under my bed. So that kind of behavior, I mean, it's, it's, you're at an age where still, you don't know how to do that unless you see it. So, was there a point where you saw that kind of behavior or was it around the people that you were hanging around with? Uh, was your brother into stuff that was like that? Or did you just see it on TV or is this something that you knew to, what to do? You know, I, I, I used to think I was a ninja, you know, and this was the eighties. All this ninja stuff was big, right? My brother was eight years older than me. He was, you know, he's 20, 21 at this time, and he thought he was Steven Seagal. You know, he's in the bars, and he's telling, you know, everybody how he's, a, you know, a six-degree black belt in Aikido. My brother is a very, very narcissistic individual. He went through a lot of trauma himself, and he's very, very narcissistic and, and lies about everything, just a compulsive liar. And, and he goes out of his way to convince people about his lies to the extent that he forges documents and such, you know, and, and this is what he would do, you know, as, as he would tell people he was into Aikido and martial arts and all of these things. 
and sort of kind of like, you know, the Temujin Kinsu case, you know, this was just in the 80s. You know, you had all the ninja movies, you had all of these things in the 80s. And I was just that. I think I more or less wanted to, again, impress my brother. I was always trying to get my brother's respect, my father's respect. And I just, I just went on these, these, these high secret ninja missions, man, you know, and, and this is, I was just living a, a, a fantasy life. You know, I was just, I was just a kid, um, who, who now we know as an adult, I, you know, I had ADD, um, and, and I was just, I was just in a, a realm of fantasy doing whatever I wanted to do. Well, you were escaping your reality. Whatever. Into my fa- into my fantasy, yeah, yeah. Whatever that that was that uh, you know you you know were wanting to deal with or or didn't, you know maybe it was I don't know, it could have been a number of different things, but it sounded like more of an escape. And you know, a, he, people would ask me, and I didn't figure this out till a long time ago. But why uh, the identity theft was so appealing to me is because I didn't like myself. And if I could steal your identity, I didn't have to be me anymore. I could be somebody else and go, you know, charge cards on somebody else's name and not have to be me. And so, yeah, I mean, we all escape to things in different ways and different manners. So let's start, let's skip a little bit forward now. And your first time going to prison was uh, at 19 years old and, or was it 19? Yeah. And you went for about a year and a half, 19. Yeah. About a year and a half. So tell me about that. What happened? Uh, How'd you end up there? And and did you learn anything while you were there? Well, you said something that that I want to I want to question you on because I'm I'm curious and and I've never thought about identity theft in that aspect until you said that. Like, so you were committing identity theft because you didn't like your identity, not just because you wanted money. Uh, it was an easy access to money or anything like that, but the 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 enjoyment of being somebody else. Yeah, and a lot of that came from when I was when I was a kid. I I was the darkest kid in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? That wasn't you know I I I've always thought that I was half Mexican and half white, and so that's kind of how I grew up. And I always got teased about being Mexican because I grew up in a mostly white neighborhood, and so I never liked being that right? Because I always got teased about it. And so that was my identity. And so I would just always, you know, try to try to be somebody that I wasn't even to to like with your point, you know, making up stories to make myself seem like I wasn't that, you know, this little, little half Mexican kid from from wherever, you know, I had all these elaborate stories that, you know, I, that that blended into my life and, and sort of, you know, all of that, but they were all fake and fabrications. You know, even even when I went to prison, I didn't want to be uh, I didn't want to be associated with the Mexicans because I didn't want to be a torpedo for the for the the Southerners or the Northerners or or the Paisas or anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And plus, I grew up in a white neighborhood, so I was I identified with white people more. But the even the white people, the white the white car was like, why are you so dark? You know what I mean? And I was yeah. like, well, and then so finally I just came up with, well, I'm Italian. <laughs> And they bought it, and that's, you know, that's how I rolled the whole time. But you know, I started that in in my uh, while I was fighting my case in the city jail or the contract facility for the feds. Otherwise, you know, you know how it goes. If you say one thing in one place and 
catch somebody it follows you. you. Yep. Yeah, it follows you. So you got to start that trail right when you get there. Isn't that crazy, though? Isn't that crazy, Sean, how stigma and perception makes us lie about who we are? Isn't that absolutely absurd? When you sit here and you listen to it and you say, I can't believe I do that. You know, like it's just and we do it every day. We do it every day because we're so worried about what the next person thinks about us. And and that's where I was at as a teenager, you know, and, and again, because I got caught into that. Now we're getting into the early 90s. I'm caught into the hip hop craze because I identify with with the anger and I identify with the aloneness, I guess. And, you know. Again, I I just got caught off into into that whole hip hop thing, you know, and and I and I started going down to the hood, hanging around into the hood, and and that's where I found my friendship. At I was accepted into the hood, right, and I was I was loved in the hood, and and that's just I, to me at that time I felt like that was where my friends were, you know, but in reality, all I was, was just a, a stupid little white kid that was trying to be something that it wasn't and trying to, to, to get into something that people were struggling to get out of, you know, and it, it was, it was, I was viewed as a mockery, you know, and, and here again, it was just me, a confused kid not knowing where I belonged, kind of like the ugly duckling, you know? Yeah, and, and what what you're explaining to me, when you actually hit a yard, and yeah, it's, there's no more of that. And if you go against that and you start hanging out with the people that you're comfortable with hanging out with, you're now labeled as something else, which is frowned upon in most prison systems. At least the higher levels that you go, the lower you go in a system, it's not as prevalent. Like if you get into a camp or or a medium, they're politics, but the politics aren't as as thick. We're as, petty. Yeah. It, they're petty politics. And, and you're right in what you say, right? But it's it's still because I'm from Florida and this is how we roll in Florida, right? And and it's it's commonly known that Florida is not a a, a a separatist state. I don't want to say it's not a racist state because it is, it does has a lot of racism here as it does everywhere, but Florida is not a separatist state, you know, and we, we mingle with everybody and we blend with everybody and we chill with everybody. So when you're in the system, like when I went out to Texas in the federal system, right? When people asked me where I was from and I told them I'm from Florida, the question always was, well, well, are you on Florida time or are you on Peckerwood time? You know, because it's it's known that if you're from Florida, this is who you are. This is your demeanor. And you can't really check me or or punish me because this is the element that I grew up in. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's kind of commonly known like that. However, you have to respect where you're at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you have to respect the rules of engagement where you're at. And you have to understand that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't understand that when I first went in, because like I said, I grew up in mostly an all white neighborhood. I never really got I'm a big dude, so I never got 
I never got tested a whole lot, right? Right. And so when I first got in, that I was, you know, doing my my whatever you want to call it, you know, fighting my case uh, in the fe- in the federal facility. There was a bunch of Southerners there, and that uh, that INS holds, and I guess a contract they had with them. They they brought in a bunch of Serenos, and we were all out on the yard, and I hadn't clicked up with anybody yet, and some one of them like elbowed me on accident i slapped him in the back of the head and it was like he didn't do anything and we went about our business but once i got back into the into the main you know into the let us back in from the yard um they started grouping up like they do and i was on the phone and i'm like oh man it's like all right well i'm gonna have to like i'm gonna invite a bunch of dudes now and i did and it, you know, I, I, I tried to, I, it was like four of them and I tried to do the best that I could, but at some point I was like, all right, well now it's just survive, just survive. So I don't want to get kicked out of the unit and put into isolation. So I just covered my face and didn't let them hit my face and just let them beat me up in my body. And I would came right back down from chow. And, uh, you know, I was like, what, that's all you got, you know, yeah. four of you and you, and I'm still coming down here. And then from that point on, the whites were like, well, what are you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Hell are you? <laughs> yeah. Who, who are you? What are you? Who are you rolling with? And like, you know, and it's, and that was at that point that I was like, all right, well, I can't do this on my own, I guess. Well, that was always my beef, you know, is, is the only beef that I had in, in, in the federal system is when I went out to Texas and that was at Beaumont and that was with the, the ABTs, the Aryan Brotherhood of, of Texas. That was the only beef that I had with, with really anybody, you know, because I've just always been the type of cat, man, that I just mind my own business. I keep to myself. I don't care what you do. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're into as long as it doesn't directly affect me. And that's it. I'm just here to do my time and better my life. And I never had a problem with people, you know. I got into altercation, sure. You got, you know, you always have to stand your ground. You know, because dudes are going to test you, you know, and if you don't stand your ground, then more dudes are going to come. So you're always going to be checked and you're always going to be, you know, as they call heart checked, you know, so you're going to have altercations. That's just knowing the territory. But like you say, for the most part, you know, when you're when you're a big size, dudes ain't trying to tussle with us. You know, they rather go just bully the little the little kids, you know. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was, it was interesting. It was definitely, you know, I was lucky that I, I, the highest that I ever went to in the fed system was a medium, which it wasn't, I mean, it was like a college campus to me without, without girls. Yeah. I mean, really, it, it was a nice facility. It was in Oregon. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of like bad actors running around, you know, mo- I, I mean, I, I would, by the time I honestly, I only had 18 months there. I had 18 months in the state. And by the time I got comfortable, it was time to leave. Yeah. yeah. Oregon with the, 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 uh, the new joint that just opened up, right? Well, Sheridan, FCI Sheridan. Sheridan. Yeah. Sheridan opened up in, and I think the early two thousands. Yeah. yeah. And I heard that was a sweet spot. Yeah. They had, they had some good stuff going on there, but like anything else, unless like if you, if you have short time, you don't get to touch programs at all. Because the waiting list right. is so long, so you know none of none of the things like I I came out with a great body, 
Uh, you know, I, I look good on the outside, but I was still talk- this Let me toxic see. person. Let me see. Oh, no, no, not anymore. <laughs> COVID-40 done got me, you know, but this was, I got out in 2006, you know what I mean? So that was a long time ago. Uh, me too. You know, and uh, it just, it was, you know, I was still that same toxic person because nothing gets addressed while you're, while you're inside. And there are people that, that are an exception to that, but I mean, they have to put in the work on them themselves. Um, and all that other stuff that goes along with it, you know? So how do you go from, from at 19 doing 19 months to at 29 getting 210 and did you do all, all your time or did you get some of it eliminated off of a compassionate release or, or any of those other things? Or did you do the whole 210 or 80%, 85% of that? Yeah, 87.5%. They like to say 85%, but it's actual 87.5%. So that's, again, another lie that the federal government tells the the public. So, but yeah, you know, I, I, I was in state. Um, state was a, was a, uh, a learning state was a wake up call for me. Right. At, at 19 years old. And it didn't teach me anything. All it did was was hone my skills, and it, it made me serious. And what what ended up happening was I came home and like now I'm I'm I just missed my twenty first birthday, and I I come home and now I'm serious, right? Now it's time to 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 get serious, and. I don't steal anymore, right? Because I'm not a thief. I learned that. I learned that I wasn't a thief and and I didn't want to be associated as a thief. You know, I didn't want that just, that wasn't me, you know, and I stopped all of that, but I'm still trying to figure out who I am and what I am. And I got influenced, man. Hollywood influenced me like, you know, like, like their game plan is. And, and I just wanted to be that gangster. I wanted to be that mafioso gangster, that hardcore, give me respect or whatever. And, and I went all in and I dedicated myself to, to the street life, you know, to that code. And, and me being the, the type of individual that I am, I live by that code. You know, you have a lot of people out there that, that dedicate themselves to the code, so they say, but when it really comes to walking that line, they can't do it. And, and, and that was, I just wanted to be the one that when they said, yeah, you know, that, that dude there, that's, that's a real gangster right there. And, and that, that was just my mindset and that that's where I was at. Yeah. It's crazy how, how, uh, music and, and times, uh, really shape what we think we want to be or how we think we want to be. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's it's sort of crazy uh when you when you think about it and you know when you when you got out right so you got out in 2016 2016 is when i got out of the feds right i got out on on the two levels so i had a 210 month sentence for a first time nonviolent cocaine charge there was absolutely no drugs in my case no drugs they they didn't know anything about me right the only way that 
they could have, the only way that they knew about me was from the snitches off my case, right? Just telling on everybody and brought me into this case. Um, no dope, no evidence whatsoever, what you call a ghost dope conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I was the only one to go to trial out of 39 co-defendants. I was the 40th one. And all my friends that I grew up with that I thought were these hard gangsters with me that were pistol packing, you know, doing some 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 horrible things, you know. They 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 turned and, and they turned government witness at the flip of a hat, you know. There there was there was nothing in them. And and again, I was the the scapegoat. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, here I am. I thought I had all the all the friends. I thought I had all the power and the respect that I wanted. And and I was I was again once once again the fool. You know? So you were you were you were living by a code while everybody else was turning around and, and, and telling on you and to get to get less time, which happens quite a bit. I mean, the the yeah. conspiracy laws manipulated and used and abused in the system, especially in the federal system. That's where I hear about it mostly. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's like you think you're living this life. I, I got code, and you know, I'm doing this, and yeah, it might be worth something when you get to the joint because you got to have, you know, you got to be able to show your paperwork or you know all the stuff that goes along with that. That saved my life. Yeah. That saved my life. Me being the man who I was saved my life when I got the Beaumont. There's no question about it. So it, it did do some good, but, I mean, those other guys, they got to go to prison too. Like, where do they go? Do they go to somewhere different or? Well, they get to go where they want, you know. Um, they go to, to plush camps, you know. Um, they go to Lowe's, things of that nature. Most lows that you go to, nobody's bothering. Nobody's checking paperwork and stuff like that in the lows. You know, um, a few of them might get to a medium and they may have problems depending on what medium they go to. But then again, out here in Florida and out here in the 11th district and such, it's what we're talking about is prevalent. These guys know that. These guys are leaving, going back and forth to court all day long from prison. They have games in prison. They have, they look out for their homeboys. If somebody comes in and knows about a murder, they'll tell their all their homeboys about the murder, so that all their homeboys can jump on the case. This is this is what goes on in prison. Everybody is looking on how to come home out of prison as soon as they can. Yeah, that's crazy, and then that just goes to the lack of of investigating that happens with you know with, with the the whoever it is dea feds you know whatever they don't they don't even do any investigating anymore their best is okay well let's you know hear this person's story and okay well it just helps them to build a bigger case and and set send you away for a longer period of time well you you mentioned conspiracy right and and on my podcast on my youtube channel i have a great documentary on what conspiracy does conspiracy is my forte i know conspiracy in and out I mean, this is this is my life. This is what I've been labeled as as a conspirator against the United States of America as a, as just a, a troubled kid that was just trying to to eat, you know, and didn't know how to. And, and I'm a co-conspirator against America. And 
And once I was labeled that in the system that I was put under, it 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 opened my eyes to to the egregiousness as what conspiracy is doing to our communities. Um and and it's 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 starting at a very young age, like you say, it's it's watered down. It's you you were pointing out you were spot on. What it does is it puts all the onus on the criminal defense attorney, right? The prosecutor does have to, has to do absolutely nothing. All the prosecutor has to do is just put all the pieces together and create a story from what she has. The DEA officer he don't have to do anything but have an arsenal of snitches. That's all he has to have. So he has to just sit back and let his snitches do the work. His main focus, his main job is to go out and get evidence against people to get them to turn snitches. That's all he has to do. And and they just sit back and let the machine work itself from that point on because you have people that are waiting in county jail. They'll keep They'll keep people sitting in county jail for a year or two years, delaying their court cases because they know that they're snitches. And whoever comes into the jail, they'll put them in the jail cells with them people. And how you get like with Tabujan Kinsu, where now his celly is now coming out saying, oh, this guy came out and just told me his whole his whole crime. You know, it's 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 disgusting what's going on, man. It's disgusting what's going on. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Disturbs it disturbs me. So I want to ask this question, or Danny actually asked this question. Um, I've been throwing up comments here and, and, and you know, stuff. I've been saying them. Uh, through there, we got Darko uh, Josipovic, which is uh, somebody that I follow, and I think you may be on some of your stuff as well. You know, he's been through the judicial system, but not at the same level, but he agrees that most everything that we're saying uh, you know, cause you, once you get in there, you, there's, you, you can't, I mean, it, the whole thing is nothing but a, a, a coercion, you know, uh, from the time you get there to the, the, the little bit of amount, the food that they feed you to, you know, if you can't afford store, you know, all of that is designed to get you to take a plea faster and get you through the system. Keep that, 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 uh, conviction rate high. So that federal money keeps flowing in. Uh, Danny asked, he said, do you think you could give advice to a 12 year old and make a difference in their life today? So what would you say? Uh, and then we'll get to your, the, the coming home coalition that you started, uh, in, in closing this, uh, we're running out of time, but you and I are going to, we're thinking about doing a co co, uh, hosted, uh, uh, collaboration on mm -hmm. some other things, you know, so we'll, we'll definitely, either to get to that or have a second part of this so we can come back and talk about some things a little bit deeper when I'm not on a time limit of an hour. There's no question. And, and, and I saw this question from Danny and, and Danny, thank you for asking this because this right here, what you asked me is, is what I'm doing. This is why I'm exposing my life to the public and, 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 and the ugly way that it is because stigma is is what is hurting people like Sean, people like me, people like us that are trying to come out and tell the truth of what America is doing to our communities. Because we're labeled as convicts and criminals and things of that nature, we're labeled as stupid. We're labeled as people that don't know how to get along in society. And we're labeled that way because we have the truth to tell. And they know that and they don't want us to tell the truth. So 
to answer your question, Danny, what would I tell myself at 12 years old? What advice would I give myself is that however, however somebody needed to, to get it to me, I had to hear that I did not need anybody else's uh, love. I didn't need anybody else's appreciation. I'm all that I need. I'm all that I need. And as long as I just pick one thing, right, and just pick one thing as a 12-year-old, just pick one thing. It doesn't matter what it is. Just be great at it. Do your best at it. If it's video games, if it's whatever it is, just be your best at that and hone in on that skill. And and from that, you're going to learn how to really just appreciate at least the skills that you that you know that you have. When I was that age, I didn't know what I had. I was constantly told that I was dumb. I was constantly told that, you know, I couldn't get things right. I didn't know how to work with tools. I didn't know how to change, you know, uh, uh, spark plugs and things of that nature. So I, I was never told what I did know. I was just always told what I didn't know, you know. So I had no direction in my life as a child. So just tell that child, you know, Whatever it is, whatever interests you, just do it the best that you can. You know, don't worry about what anybody else has to say. Don't worry about if anybody makes fun of it. Just know that you've done your best. Do you uh, Do you have kids? I do, man. I have one daughter, man. Me too. And how old's your daughter? <clears throat> She's 17 now. Bless her. Oh, wow. Well, I, have, I have two. One of them that I lost contact with you know when she was 18 months but has come back into my life recently and then uh my four-year-old daughter and you know one of the the things that i say and has been the most impactful to me when i think about uh things is don't try to give your kid or stop trying to give your kids the, the life you wish you had and start trying to teach them the things you wish you knew right well that's exactly right and and if you want <laughs> If you want your child to learn something, parent, be what you want your child to learn. Don't tell your child what you want them to be. You be what you want your child to learn, and your child will be that. It's just that simple. And then he asked, uh, I'm dyslexic. People ask, how can you help kids with dyslexic traits? I say, find something they're good at and exploit the hell out of it. Sounds similar. Absolutely. You know, the, the, we're, we're not taught the blueprints of life when we're kids, man, because our parents didn't even really know. I mean, they did the best they could with what they had. And, you know, when you know better, you need to do better. And so that's kind of where I'm at in my life today is that, you know, I'm learning how to do all of these things. I'm, 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 I'm aware of way more now. And so therefore I can't just claim ignorance anymore. Mm hmm. Well, and and that's the thing. I mean, that's to me and in, in my philosophy of life, that's what the Bible speaks upon between being born into sin and being, you know, washed in the blood and, and, and of the spirit is that transition between your egoistic life into your spiritual life. And you're and you, you come into understanding that it's not about me, like the things that I achieved for myself under under the umbrella of drug dealing is I don't have not one thing, not one thing. All the torment 
and all the pain that I've caused families with all the drugs that I've sold, right? All the pain that I've caused. I don't have not one thing from that life, you know? And it's not that I don't want any of it because it's a sign to me from God, like, listen, you're starting your life from scratch. None of that is coming into your life no more. Now you have the knowledge, as you said, if it comes into your life now, I won't be there for you this time, you know, and, and that's it. So talk a little bit about coming home coalition. So coming home coalition, how that was founded is because I came home in 2016. And again, I'm getting the door shut in my face everywhere I'm going. Right. I have no work history. I have no skills. You know, my skills is communication with people. That's what my skill set is. And, and, and what kind of job does that land me? Marketing, things of that nature. But because of my criminal history, people just shut the door in front of me. I can go out and get a labor job, yes, but I'm 45 years old now. I've had two knee surgeries. I got a bad back. I can't do labor. So I said, you know what? I've been thinking about this whole time how I want to help people in a certain situation where they can have employment before they come home. Right. They don't have to deal with the things that we have to deal with by coming home, finding a job. They can get trained and, and get a skill set inside a prison, a true one, not some fictitious thing put in just to get grants, but a true system put in to where businesses, corporations can come through me because I do have some corporate contacts and they could say, listen, I need a guy in this this department. Do you have a guy with any kind of banking background, maybe in there for fraud or whatever? I know some some guidelines are tricky, but in a sense where these these guys can get trained for a position that they will have when they come home. Right. I'm, I'm just kind of like a middle person where I'm a connect between inmates that are coming home that can be trained, that are willing to just come home and change their life to businesses. So now they have a job before they even come home they can transition into society without that pressure of having to go find a job. Their PO's not over their back. Did you find a job in two weeks? You know, and you're, you're left to, to go out and find, you know, day, day labor. You know, it's, it's something that, that just, I feel can, can really change. So that was the premise of the foundation. And I said, what I need to do, because my life has been negative. My whole life is negative. And I have no positive. I have nothing to counterbalance the negative, right? So I have to do something to at least counterbalance that negative, you know? And COVID came. I, I, I became unemployed. I'm still unemployed at this time. But God has provided me the opportunity to start my podcast, start my YouTube channel, um, start my coalition, actually be out here helping people. I have people now contacting me that need like work around their house, things of that nature. I'll go over there and help these people, you know, all just under the name of the the coalition. Because for me, at the end of the day, Sean, you know me, I'm about changing stigma. The only way that we're going to change America is to change America's mind. Us going to politicians and talking to these people, they don't care. They don't care. You're wasting your breath. And I don't have much time left on earth. I've wasted a lot of it. I'm not going to be sitting here placated by some 
legislator. We need to get to our blue-collar Americans. We need all 360, 400 million Americans to stand up and say, listen, man, we need to change this judicial system. Absolutely. And another another thing that I always say, too, is that, you know, the only way that we're going to beat mainstream media is with our own media and, and putting out real narratives instead of manufactured and generated narratives that are that are used to call the the masses or, or at least the 50 percent that, you know, they have, all, you know, believing everything that's coming out of mainstream news, you know, because if it's I know a lot of people, my, my family included, that if it's not on the TV, they don't want to have nothing to do with it. You know, and, and, and that's what they count on. And, you know, you can call us conspiracy theorists. You can say whatever you want. But, I mean, if you're really paying attention, you're starting to see that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Some, some of these conspiracies are actually starting to come true. Right? The things that people were saying, you know, that to, to, to make everybody think that you're crazy, some of it's actually coming true and, and is actually real. And so, you know, anybody that's actually even been into the Fed system, I mean, you got the, uh, and, and I'm not bad mouthing Unicor, but let's just call it what it is, right? It, it's helpful for a lot of folks that are in there and it gives them something to do. That's great. But it also gives, uh, you know, who knows who's tied into these, these investments in, in Unicor and the prison industry. Like, you know, there's, I could name them. I could name them. And let me tell you, there's nothing good about Unicor, man. There's nothing good about Unicor. And the reason why I say that, I understand your point. Right. But again, it's brainwashing because you have what what Unicor does is it has these inmates in there that they they become so institutionalized. Right. That they they're machines. Right. And that's not good either. But that's what the government wants. The government wants to train these people into machines where they just come home, they work and they go home. They come home, they work and they go home. You know, and they don't want them doing anything else. And this is what Unicor is doing. And it's it's it is it, it's a brain another again, it's another brainwashing mechanism that the government is using and they're profiting off of it. It's it, there's nothing good about Unicor. Nothing. I don't I don't think there is either. But the, I've had some guys, you know, they they ch- survive off. it. Yeah, they, ch- they challenge me. And, and that is the good thing. Of, like. You, you do what you have to do to survive, right? But understand that. See, again, what you say, what you say is so important, Sean, because we're living in a fictitious world. We're living in a false reality, right? And it's, it's just knowing what you're dealing with. Don't tell yourself that it's something that it's not just because you don't want to deal with the emotions of it. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Understand, listen, I'm in this position. I hate it, but I put myself in this position. I have to deal with it. Don't sit here and say that I love working for Unicor. And if it wasn't for Unicor, I wouldn't have commissary. Because again, that's a dependency that you're putting on yourself. There's many other ways that you can survive inside a prison without Unicor. I worked in Unicor out of, out of my 12 and a half years. I worked in Unicor for one year. And I got the hell out of there because it was driving me crazy. It was yeah. driving me crazy. Yeah, it's almost like that. What do they call that the, when uh, when you start to uh, your captor, you become you protect your captor. What's there's a name for it? It's called 
what's the slave mentality? It's it's protecting your 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 slave master, you know, and 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 that's what these guys were doing. Like they were getting to the point to where they would run and tell their boss, man, if you weren't producing what you were supposed to produce. That's how crazy it was getting. Yeah, that's even crazy that that's even happening there because, I mean, there's consequences for that kind of behavior normally, right? Well, you have some cars that won't let you work in Unicorp for that reason because they know what goes on inside of that. So they'll tell you, like, if you work in Unicorp, you you know, you're not going to be in this car, you know? Huh. All right. Well, the, the, we, we just scratched the surface on, on a lot of things. You know what I mean? An hour is definitely not enough time to cover a lot of the topics that we that, that we scratched on or we just breezed over. Um, but that means that that's good because now we got some more things to come back and talk about. Um, and if you guys enjoyed watching what we're doing and, uh, you know, want to, uh, you know, follow, um, what Thomas is doing, you've got the, uh, coming home coalition.com. You also got his YouTube channel, which I, I put up here. Uh, let's see, I'll flash it up again, but all of these, these links, these direct links are available in the show notes or the description of this, uh, broadcast. So you can go down there and and hit any of these links and it'll take you directly to Thomas or myself as well. Um, and yeah, uh, do you got anything else that you want to, uh, close with? That's it, man. That was a great show. Like you said, we, we'd have to do 10 shows to even scratch the surface, but I do want to collaborate with you on our on maybe an hour-long special um, as we were talking about maybe with dealing with men, mm-hmm. you know, coming home or, or how, whatever men deal with. Um, but that's it. My YouTube channel, I have documentaries on there on conspiracy. Um, my my, I have all kinds of stuff, man. Just just check me out, please. Like, subscribe, share. Um I'm not very good at marketing. I need the help of my followers to market for me because I really suck. And and I could probably use a lot more followers than what I got. But I have great stuff. I have interviews with attorneys, um, trauma experts, such and such. So, yeah, just check me out. If you like me, hang around. If not, kick rocks. Hey, and that, that's all you can do, man. You're right. It's just I'm putting out some content. If you like what I'm like, what I'm dropping then you know get on board if i'm gonna not- be as real as i can i'm gonna bring as much truth as i can because we are in a time where truth is necessary truth is is a must it is a must and if somebody doesn't want to deal with facts you have to force these facts down these people's face because they're going to do whatever they can do to deny these facts i'm just want to bring the truth i want to bring the real i'm not about violence i'm not about you know, talking about stabbings and stuff all day. You're not going to get that with me. I'm more along the lines as to why we went to prison. Why are we going to prison? Why are we doing the things that we're doing to put ourselves in harm's way so that we can be better parents for our children and we can have a better country for ourselves, man? So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Starts with the youth. It starts with the younger generations and, and teaching them a better way and, and giving, you know, don't, don't give them the lives that you wish that you had. Teach them the things that you wish you knew, the things right. that you, you see right now, things that are happening. And, and if you know something about it or, you know, tell them, you know, that's, that's, right. all, that's all you can do. It starts with self. Be your best self. Whatever you want your kids to be, 
be that. You know what I mean? And your kids are going to follow behind you, I promise you, because that's the nature of what children do. You know, they follow behind their parents. Be your best self. At the end of the day, shut all your fucking electronics off, man. Shut all that crap off. Lay in your bed. Close your eyes and just ask yourself, was I my best self today? And just be honest, you know, and, and if you weren't, just be your best self tomorrow. Yeah, you can always start again. And that's uh, you're absolutely right. And I've had to do this in my own life because my I, I co-parent my daughter and she's over here. And I caught myself working while she was here and not paying attention to her. And I was like, hey, you know what? That's not right. That's not Kids right. come first, Sean. Yep, yep. And so I was like, I had Kids to, I shut everything off when she's here now. And I don't do any work until she's either asleep or, you know what I mean? She's gone. And that's just kind of what I've had to do. It slowed some things down, but you know what? I can see, I can see a difference. Yeah. In how she's behaving around me and everything else. So Stacy price, what's up? I just did Stacy's show earlier today in the morning. She said, so proud of you guys generating change in society. Keep going. The world needs more of this. Thank you, Stacy. We appreciate the comments. Thank you. All right. And so we're going to head out of here and I'm going to come close out of this one and hop into another one because I got uh, spirituality and reincarnation from uh, Dave and Carla, the three time authors coming up next. And uh, thank you, Tom. Well, let, let me go in there with you. Let me go in there with you. That's my topic, too. <laughs> I appreciate you, Thomas, and we're definitely going to hook something up. And, uh, you know, everybody out there, if you got any questions for the show or if you want to make any comments, uh, feel free to email the show at nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, hit my link tree and anywhere that the show is at. And all these links are in, in the description as well. And, uh, yeah, until next time, like I said, uh, keep it 100. Stay true to yourself because everything else is just noise. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.